week we started uh, with this uh, story all about 6,000 demons and 2,000 pigs. Some of you were pretty creeped out by the whole demon pig thing. I just, we had conversations afterwards. Uh, I think there were some sleepless nights. Um, if you missed that, uh, you, can, you can go check that out either on the church uh, Facebook page or the, uh, the YouTube channel. Just go to the, the church website on the video and that'll, that video page, that'll take you to the right place. Um, it was actually not necessarily about those those uh, pigs or those demons, but about the guy that was rescued and his life was completely turned around. Uh, and and then God called him to tell his story of his encounter with Jesus. Uh, wherever he went, he needed to go and tell what happened to him. And so your challenge uh, was to go and tell your story of your encounters with Jesus in the lives of the people uh, that you come in contact with this week. I I, I hope that you'll uh, you'll let me. Know know some of those conversations you've had this past week and and guess what that homework continues we get the chance because we follow Jesus we get the chance to tell that story every chance we get we are called to be uh, be tellers of our stories of Jesus encounters again I, I know that some of you were weirded out by the demon pigs and I wish I had better news for you because because this this week's story um, may actually be a little more twisted and strange. Uh, we're glad the kids headed out uh, because it's certainly not rated G. Um, I'd call it PG-13, bordering on R, I guess. Uh, I don't think, we showed you a video last week. I don't think a video is probably appropriate for this one. Uh, so, and it's pretty strange. I think you'll catch on to the strangeness just in reading the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I talked with, or I had email back and forth with Mission Love, and they said, well, what's the message about? And maybe we can tie in our songs to the message. And I said, well, it's, it's, um, it's Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt. Got any songs about that? And, uh, and they didn't, but uh, they, they did a good job uh, uh, leading us to the throne uh, despite my lack of, of uh, helpfulness there. But Genesis chapter 19, uh, we're going to read the whole, almost the whole deal, verses 1 through 29, this whole story. Uh, strap in, here we go. It's one of the stranger things in the Bible. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. Uh, You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we'll we'll spend the night in the the square. But, But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and they entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men. They've come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came uh, here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out, pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, 
Do you have anything else here? Uh, anyone else here? Sons-in-law, uh, son, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. He said, uh, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here uh, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them to safety, uh, safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, hang on a second. Now he said, no, my lords, please, your, your servant has found favor in your eyes and, and you've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, there's, there's a town near enough to run to and, and it's small. Let me, let me flee to it. It's very small, isn't it? Then, they, then my life will be spared. And, and he, he said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the, Lord, from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all, who live, all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's, life, Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. We made it. I mean, it's a strange story. Uh, there's angels, there's sexually perverted, perverted rapists, there's na- uh, supernatural blindness, fire from heaven, and then the climax is Lot's wife literally being turned into a pillar of salt. I mean, stranger things in, in the Bible. Uh, actually, I, I heard about a Sunday school teacher telling this story to her, uh, to her uh, class about Lot's wife turning, uh, looking back and, and turning into a pillar of salt and, and, and little Bobby uh, interrupted the teacher and said, my mommy looked back once while she was driving and she turned into a telephone pole. So, so maybe it's not so strange. I don't, anyway, the question is, well, how in the world can a story like this uh, apply to our lives today? I mean, believe it or not, there's actually a lot that we can learn that we need to unpack. And, and, but in order to do that, we need to, uh, we need to know a little bit of the backstory. You need to know who some of these people were and, and what brought them to this place. So, so Lot and Lot's wife, they're the uh, kind of the main uh, uh, people that, that get most of the attention in this story. But Lot was Abraham's nephew. Abraham and Lot and their families had been living together in the land that we now know as Israel. 
And back in Genesis 13, so several chapters before, uh, we saw that the families of, the, of Abraham and the family of, uh, of Lot and their, their, their herds and, and their, uh, their servants, uh, the, the families had grown and gotten bigger and bigger and, and they started competing over the grazing land and, and some of the servants started quarreling and, and kind of fighting among themselves. And so uh, instead of fighting, uh, Abraham suggested that they, uh, they split up. So Abraham and Lot kind of stood up and, and looked out over the, 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 the land and, and Abraham said, well, pick, which, uh, where do you want to go and I'll go the other direction and we'll just kind of split up and uh, and Lot looked and and saw this lush green valley that uh, they had so much to uh, to give his uh, his his uh, herds and and so he uh, he said I'm going to go down over here and uh, and and I'm going to go next to yeah there's a couple of cities down there but Abraham I'm going to going to head down here Gen- Genesis 13:11 uh, through 13 says so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east, and the two men parted company. Abram lived in the, the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So uh, Lot pitched his tents near the sinful city of Sodom. Uh, in the very next chapter, uh, if, we, if we had time to read all this, we'd see in, in chapter 14, we, we realized that Lot uh, very quickly had moved his whole family. Instead of just being in the plains near the city, he now lived in Sodom. And then in chapter 19 that we just read, uh, most scholars believe that since Lot was sitting at the city gate when those angels came in, that's an indication that he was probably a, uh, a, a city official of some type, that he was actually uh, in charge in some some political uh, position of, of some point in the city of Sodom. So, so Lot pitched his tents near sin and soon found himself surrounded by it. Although, uh, because he's referred to in several places in scripture uh, as a righteous man, uh, he didn't necessarily participate in those sinful practices. It affected him, it affected his family, it affected his livelihood, and, and even eventually uh, took the life of his wife. And all of the craziness that we read there in that strange story uh, came about because Lot pitched his tents near Sodom. We can get into trouble when we're not careful where we pitch our tents. So where have you pitched your tent? Maybe another way to ask that question, we're not really talking about camping here this morning, but, but where are you making yourself at home? You, you cannot live in the proximity of sin and escape its effects. So getting comfortable with sin is a very dangerous place to be. There's a phrase that, that uh, a lot of people use uh, these days, everything happens for a reason, but sometimes the reason is that you pitched your tents with the wicked and you're reaping the consequences of sin. Uh, God didn't orchestrate that. Y- that's happening to you and in your life because it's the consequences of sin because you've gotten comfortable living in the proximity of sin and those choices. I, I know that there's sin all around us. How can, uh, Pastor, how can we avoid sin? There's sin everywhere, Right? We, we can't avoid the effects of sin in this fallen world, but, but Lot moved to Sodom, not so he could influence it for good, but so that he could, for, he moved there for what he could get. And, and initially he got a lot. He had wealth and influence. He, he, uh, he, he didn't have to, he moved into the city. He didn't have to herd his animals uh, uh, anymore. He, he, uh, he, he got Husbands lined up for his daughters. Uh, he seemed to be pr- pr- doing pretty okay from a secular standpoint. Uh, uh, but, but, but we need to know and, and we need to realize that sin always has consequences. God doesn't ignore sin. And if you've pitched your tents with the wicked, you'll get what they get. 
And in this story, they got God's wrath. So what does it mean today? What does it look like if we are to pitch our tents near Sodom? Again, we're, we're not talking about uh, going down to the campground. I, I guess maybe a different way to ask that. Where in your life are you flirting with sin? Or, I mean, I mean, it could be a, a relationship that's getting a little closer than it should at work. Or, or, or it could be things that you watch, things that you entertain yourself with. Maybe it's, maybe it's something online that you have no business looking at. It could just be a group of friends that are a bad influence and you're starting to become more like them instead of, uh, instead of influencing them toward God and toward God. I, I don't, I, we could list a, a thousand things. I, my, my guess is if you're, if you have pitched your tents near Sodom, if you are flirting with sin, you already have that in your mind. Something's already come to mind. Uh, uh, God is already pointing something out. It's, it's dangerous because the more we allow ourselves to be influenced by sin, the harder it is to bake, break free from that influence. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it there, it's, it's almost laughable reading through that story and seeing how Lot hesitates over and over and over again. And he tries to, 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 to kind of, okay, well, yeah, I get it. I, I know I need to, but, oh, uh, and he's kind of, I mean, he lingers, not sure what to do and follow the angels as they, he, he tries to get his future sons, sons-in-law to come and they, they just laugh at him. Uh, he literally, I mean, it's, it's, it's not laughable, it's tragic. Uh, he tries to give his daughters to these, these uh, perverted uh, men who have gathered around his his house maybe i don't know maybe thinking that that's a lesser evil than what they had in mind to do with uh, with these angel visitors i mean he's twisted the sin has twisted lot's mind the the angels uh, urged him to to, to go and, and do it fast and and, and you got to hurry and, and finally had to physically drag him and his wife and his two daughters out of this city Lot was mired in the effects of sin and he was slow to obey when the angels came to the rescue. And as we watch that, and as we read that, we have to realize that, that with God, delayed obedience is disobedience. You know that in your, with, with your kids, if you've ever had kids and you ask them to do something and they say, sure, I'll take out the trash and, and an hour later you look and the trash isn't gone, uh, you're, you're thinking, oh yeah, they'll get to it sometime. No, you're thinking... I told him to do that. He said he'd do it, and he's not. It's disobedience. He said he was going to do it, and he didn't do it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Lot's reluctance to follow nearly cost him his life, and it just may have cost uh, his wife her life. This, I mean, this story is. Uh, if we if we look at it, uh, if we're just reading it objectively, right? The, the the townspeople are are literally going to come and gang rape angels. And Lot is hesitating. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I could stick around. Maybe they're going to change. Maybe, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a lot of scholars uh, assume or, or come to the conclusion that, that Lot and his wife had accumulated a lot and they were doing well from societal standpoints. And so, so uh, you know, they had the, the house and he had a position and, and they had friends and, and uh, people in the, in the community there. And, and I mean, basically, whatever it is, uh, Lot's hesitation uh, reveals his divided heart justifying our behavior in the face of God's direction uh, in our lives can re- be revealing of a divided heart as well. Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm following God, but I'm also doing what everybody else is doing, and, and boy, this sure looks good, and yeah, I'll, got, I'll get around to it, God, and I'm coming, and, and yeah, but our hesitation 
reveals divided loyalties. Delayed obedience is disobedience. The, the, the best life is a life following God. In this case, uh, it was escaping the danger, following these angels uh, in order to get rid, get away from the, uh, the, the danger that was to come. So, so Lot, uh, finally, uh, his wife, his, his two daughters, they get dragged out of the city and, and told to run and not look back. Lot still negotiates and says, you know what, I'm not sure I'm a mountain kind of guy. Kind of gotten used to the city. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a little town over there. Maybe I can, maybe I can head over there. And, and the, the, the angels at this point are going, fine, whatever, just get out of here. And so, so they, they take off and uh, Lot's wife famously, maybe infamously, looks back and is turned into a pillar of salt. Again, her heart was still with her past instead of following God into his future for her. You, you can't follow God while you're looking back, while you're living in the past. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, we are half-hearted creatures, he says, fooling around with, with drink and sex and ambition when, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. When, when Lot chose to pitch his tent near Sodom, He was choosing for his family to be influenced by the decaying society around them. His wife had bought in. His his daughters were pretty messed up. We didn't read the next part, but uh, if you want some more stranger things, disturbing things, read the the rest of chapter 19. Uh, His daughters were were certainly not the righteous people that, that, uh, that, that, that Lot is said to have been. When we dabble in sin, when we surround ourselves with it, it, it doesn't just affect us, it affects those around us. We also need to realize, though, that in the midst of all that and how messed up our lives can get, how messed up we can, we can make our lives, God comes to rescue us from our past. Because he does that, we can't just, we can't just keep living there. If, if we do, we're, we're throwing away the salvation that he's offering. Uh, when we follow God closely, when we, we, we trust that he knows best, he saves us and he leads us to a place of safety and rest. And, and we see that in this story too. God's salvation and his grace, even in the midst of some pretty messed up stuff, that God was willing to reach in and to help. Again, part of the story we didn't read, but you need to know, um, and that is that God responds to prayer. We learned that from this story. Lot sure wasn't praying, but, uh, but his uncle was. In the end of uh, chapter 18, we didn't, we didn't read that part, uh, but uh, uh, those, those angels, actually these two angels that came to, to Sodom were actually joined by a, a third uh, that, that uh, some say was another angel, but most scholars believe was, was the Lord, perhaps uh, Jesus. It refers to him as the Lord, a, a, a God figure. The three of them had been hanging out with Abraham before they, uh, they headed down to, uh, to, to Sodom. And so they'd been talking to Abraham and telling Abraham he's going to have a baby. And, and uh, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughs about that because she's like you know 90 and uh and so this was a big deal and uh and so so uh after that and these these angels go the lord sticks around and talks to abraham and and tells abraham hey by the way just so you know uh there's going to be some fireworks later um 
and not good ones. He says, uh, you know, I'm going to, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, it's really messed up. I'm going to destroy the whole city. And Abraham talks to God and, and knows that Lot lives there. And so he says, you know, God, if, I mean, if you find, if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom, shouldn't you save the whole city? I mean, shouldn't we, we they, they started, he entered into this negotiation. It's kind of a famous uh, uh, story in, in scripture where, where Abraham kind of negotiates with God and says, how about 50 people? And God says, sure. And uh, so Abraham says, well, if you said 50, wouldn't you go with 45? And, uh, and so, so God says, okay. And he, well, 45, how about uh, 40? And then 30 and then 20. And they end up with 10. Abraham says, if there's 10 people, 10 righteous people in Sodom, how about you don't? don't destroy it and and God says okay I won't Abraham is hoping against hope that Lot has had some kind of influence because he knows that 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 Lot's a righteous person but he's not quite sure about his family and his his uh, uh, network of people but he's hoping that at least 10 people are now following God Abraham prays well chapter 19 we just we just read it uh, there's only four people that get drug out of the city and three of them are pretty suspect in whether they're righteous or not. Uh, so they, they, God didn't find 10 people. He found uh, part of one, right? Destruction comes. God doesn't spare the city. He, he, he still spares Lot and his family, uh, dragging them out of harm's way. And I, I guess I picture in my mind uh, how, that, how that goes. We, we read it there at the end of the story. Uh, just imagine Abraham you know, waking up, stepping out of his uh, tent with his cup of coffee and, and looking out across the plain in the morning and, and uh, you know, his, uh, he's got that, his stomach falls and his coffee cup falls as he sees that, that there's this, uh, you know, big uh, fireball uh, burning up these cities out there in the plain. They say 30, 40 miles away, but he could, he could uh, see what was going on. He, he would have found out later that Lot had been saved but not necessarily because of Lot's righteousness. In verse 29, it's key, and it it shows us something about about God and about prayer. It says that that, that God brought Lot out because he remembered Abraham. Lot was saved because Abraham prayed. Who, Who are you praying for to be rescued from sin's influence? Maybe, maybe it seems impossible. Maybe the, the, the person or people that come to your, your mind, I mean, the sinful things that they've gotten themselves into and, and they're, they're certainly not gonna turn around. There's no, uh, the, the, the challenge, a challenge from this story is that we have to keep praying. We have to be bold in our prayers. Abraham was bold. He stood up to God and said, come on, you don't have to do this. Come on, there's, there's, we, can, we can work something out. He's humble, but he was bold, kind of like in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We learn a lot about God from this story. We learn that he can't stand sin, right? We we learn that he is righteous and he is just and, and sin will get punished. We also realize that that he rescues that his grace goes beyond, that, 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 that he listens and responds to our prayers as we come boldly to him. But certainly a, a very strange story. When you got up and came to church today, not sure this was what you had in mind that, uh, that was coming. 
angels and perversion and fire from heaven and a woman turned to salt. I, I mean, you, you might be tempted to say, well, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't really apply to me. Pastor, you're just telling these stories and this is, you know, flannel graph. And uh, I, I'm sure there is probably a flannel graph somewhere with a pillar of salt, right? I don't know. And, and I would say, yeah, that's Old Testament. It's still important, but, but uh, it's even more important because Jesus specifically refers to this story himself. In, in Luke chapter 17, verses 30, 32 and 33, Jesus says this, remember Lot's wife. <laughs> remember, so there it is right there. We have to remember this. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. <laughs> It, it, it just struck me just now. Uh, salt is a preservative, uh, and maybe, uh, maybe that's where Jesus was going with this. Jesus, Jesus knew that we all uh, tend toward living life on our own terms, right? Uh, for ourselves. But, but if we turn uh, from living for ourselves and, and we st- instead we follow him, he will lead us to true and abundant life. We, we can't dabble in sin and then expect to, uh, to live that abundant life with God. Uh, we, we can't hesitate in following. Uh, we, we can't turn back to our past and, and keep living there. We have to follow God's direction as he leads us to eternal life. Whoever tries to keep their life living in the past, hanging on to what we know, hanging on to sinful, uh, sinful choices and its, its effects, we're going to lose that like like salt through our fingers, maybe. But whoever loses their life will preserve it as God leads us in his abundance. Following God's direction leads to real and eternal life. And, and we, have to, we have to want him more than anything else this world might offer us, right? That's, that's what, uh, what it, it, it appears, that's what Lot and his wife were struggling with, divided loyalties. We have to want to follow Jesus more than we want anything else. That reminds me of uh, the story of a guy named George. Uh, true story, he was a young man back in the 1930s aspiring to become a, a, a Christian singer at that time. He went to college for, for music training, but... Uh, there were some family uh, financial issues and he could only complete one year of college and so that dream started to kind of break apart and he, he did find a job uh, and, and moved back in with his parents and, and, and continued his vocal training and, and he sang in churches and, and uh, would, would travel around at, at times, sing at, at other places and, and on local Christian radio broadcasts and he, trying to get his, his foot in the door with something because he really felt that's, that's what it was, definitely gifted in music and, and wanted to do that but things were just, uh, what do I what do? I do and, and, and at some point a, a director for a network radio station uh, uh, heard George sing and, and set up an audition for him to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to join the Lynn Murray Singers. It was a nationwide radio program. Radio is that thing that you turn on and it kind of listens, you know, there's, it's not like an iPod, it's not, you got to actually, t- anyway. If... If, if uh, George uh, auditioned well and he was chosen, he had the potential to, uh, to step into this life that he'd been dreaming about. And the, the doors could open up for him and, and he would uh, begin to make a name for himself and begin to make some, some decent money. And, and, uh, uh, and, and it seemed like this could be the answer that he'd been looking for. The only catch was that the, uh, the Lynn Murray singers were, certainly wasn't a Christian group and they didn't sing Christian songs and yet George stepped into this uh, wondering if that was where God was leading and, and, and um, 
Uh, he auditioned, he was offered the position, and then he had a decision to make. And he's kind of torn, he's, he's wondering what to do, and going back and forth, he's living at his, uh, his, his parents' house, his father's a pastor, and, and uh, he would sing in church uh, uh, when he was home and not traveling elsewhere, and, and, and uh, it seemed like maybe this was the thing, but maybe it's not, and, and what do I do? And, and, and on a Saturday night, uh, George's mother had come across a poem, and uh, she, she wrote out this poem and laid it on the piano in their parlor and uh, she knew that George would get up as he usually does he would go to the piano uh in the in the morning and and uh, he would find that there and sure enough that's exactly what he did and he read that poem and immediately as the story goes uh, uh he he couldn't just read those words but a tune popped into his head and he um he started singing it and wrote it down played and and sang and, and this this poem turned into a song and sang sang it in his father's church and the, the, the words of that poem turned into a song that, that helped George make his decision. He turned down the offer to sing with the Lynn Murray Singers and, and he continued to uh, uh, sing on gospel radio and, and, and uh, just kind of do the grind there. And not very long after that, however, a, a, a guy, an up-and-coming uh, preacher, you've probably heard of uh, this, this guy, uh, the Reverend Billy Graham, um, heard, heard George sing. And uh, asked, asked him to become a part of his team, traveling around the world with the Billy Graham crusade. And night after night, George Beverly Shea sang, and Billy Graham preached, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, turned their hearts from following the world to following God, to following Jesus under their ministry. It is, is estimated because of those crusades that George Beverly Shea uh, is probably uh, the person who has sung live in front of more people than anyone else in history. The song that helped him decide to give his life to follow Jesus wherever he led. Well, I'll let George tell you. Here's, uh, here's a little video of George Beverly Shea. Yes, I have a dear mother, about 84 years of age, who will be watching this program over in Syracuse, New York, and it was many years ago she found this poem written by Mrs. Rhea F. Miller, and she found it at a particular time of my life when we were going through some temptations and spiritual need, and she put this poem on the piano, and as I read it, I had to sing it. And this simple melody came to mind that morning. It's my testimony tonight. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than a houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than 
worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy heard that before I've been singing it all week because of that but I do know that you can ask yourself would I rather have Jesus than anything I mean that's the age-old question that we all have to answer we we can't pitch our tents near sin and expect to have the blessing of God oh his grace can come and, and can rescue us from a whole lot of things but we've got to be willing to turn our back on those things and follow him wherever he leads. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I hope that you're ready to ask yourself that question. Would I rather have Jesus than anything? And if the answer is, there's still something there. I'm still being drawn back. I'm still kind of turning around. I don't think, I don't think you're going to be turned into a pillar of salt today. But I do think, I do know, that life with Jesus is so much better than living at home with sin. And so today, this moment right now could be the time when you say yes to Jesus, that you quit hesitating, that you you stop uh, uh, flirting with the choices that, that God wouldn't choose for you and you follow him. Father God, we, we bow before you today. We pray that, that there wouldn't be anything that's drawing us away from uh, uh, an intimate life with you. Lord, I pray that you would, you would whisper across our souls today that your spirit would move and work and that we could quiet our hearts long enough to know what it is you want to do in us and that we'll not hesitate, but that we'll respond. Step out. You, you won't have to drag us. We'll, we'll respond willingly to follow you completely. Lord, we, we give ourselves to you today. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.